Okay. Um, so, um, this actually was a picture I had a couple of years ago at a leaders weekend where God really showed me um, and helped me kind of make sense of some of my own journey. Um, and I've kind of expanded it a little bit and thought through some things a little bit more since then. So, but first of all, when we think of pilgrimage, we think of going on a journey. And it's described in the dictionary as going on a journey to a, um, a particular in- place of particular interest or significance. Or sometimes it's like life that's viewed as a journey. So, when I think of going on a journey, I think of um, planning and preparing. We think about preparation and packing and getting ready for a journey. Every journey that you go on is different, and I'm sure most of you make journeys every day to work or different places. There's journeys that you, you might have a favorite route that you go, and you always go the same way. But even on the, a journey that you make regularly, there's always that possibility of the unexpected. There's always that possibility of the traffic jam when you're already late. Or for me, walking the kids to school, the, well, it's not that unexpected, actually. It's fairly frequent. It's the dog poo on the footpath that we have to dodge to go. But there's always things in our journey that come up that we might have to deal with or that alters our journey, or we have to kind of find a way around them. So there's journeys as well that we plan and prepare a long time for. We might look at a map and decide where we're going. We might daydream of beaches in the sun. We might daydream of fascinating cities and places to go. Um, We might research, ask questions, book flights, make sure our passport is in in date, have a checklist, plan an itinerary. And then the time comes for you to pack. So I don't know which of these your suitcase looks like, whether it's the one shoved in, I know which one Daniel's is. <laughs> or if you're Don Singleton, it will be all very neat, I'm sure. And everything has its place. But whichever suitcase your suitcase looks like, when you're going on a journey that you're planning for, you've got time to think of the things that you might need. So, you know, if you're going to a sunny country, you'll plan for suntan cream, you'll plan for summer clothes, your plan for the things you need, um, and you've got time to to think of those when you know you're going on a journey. And perhaps maybe your suitcase, like the one on the end, tells a story of the places that you've already been. But will a suitcase work for us in times of adventure and pilgrimage? I don't feel that a suitcase is the right thing for us to be packing. A rucksack on your back says ready for action. My hands are free. Um, My hands are free, what for? Maybe for my map, my guide, maybe for my weapons, my tools, the things I'll need. My hands are free. And Nehemiah 4.17 says, those who carried materials, or in some versions, burdens, did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. It talks about readiness, about ready for action. 
And I think as we are thinking of pilgrimage and looking forward to pilgrimage 17, we have to think about being ready for action and having our hands free. So, but how do you pack for a journey that you don't know you're going to make? Daniel and I once went on a holiday to Prague in the springtime. And I was so excited. I just imagined it was going to be sunny. And we packed summer clothes. And we got off the plane at the airport and it was snowing. <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm going to have to go shopping. It's <laughs> a good excuse. But how did Moses prepare for 40 years in the desert? How did Joseph pack his bag when his brother sold him into slavery? When Esther was a little girl dreaming of being a princess, did she think that that would mean leaving her family and being one of the many wives to a king who had banished his previous queen from his presence? A king who may not take too kindly to her if he knew she was a Jew. How did our biblical heroes pack for their unexpected journeys? So I want to look at a character for film clip who was asked to go on an unexpected journey. Let's see if this might be similar to your response. Good morning. What do you mean? Do you mean to wish me a good morning, or do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or perhaps you mean to say that you feel good on this particular morning? Or are you simply stating that this is a morning to be good on? All of them at once, I suppose. <coughs> Can I help you? That remains to be seen. I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. An adventure? Now, I don't imagine anyone west of Bree would have much interest in adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Make you late for dinner. Good morning. To think that I should have lived to be good morning by Belladonna Took's son, as if I were selling buttons at the door. Beg your pardon? You've changed. I'm not entirely for the better, Bilbo Beckins. I'm sorry, do I know you? Well, you know my name, although you don't remember I belong to it. I'm Gandalf. And Gandalf means... me. Not Gandalf, the wandering wizard who made such excellent fireworks. Old Took used to have them on Midsummer's Eve. <laughs> no idea he was still in business. And where else should I be? <laughs> well, I'm pleased to find you remember something about me, even if it's only my fireworks. Well, that's decided. It'll be very good for you. Most amusing for me. I shall inform the others. Inform the who? What? No, no. No, wait. 
We do not want any adventures here. Thank you. Not today. Hmm. Nothing. I suggest you try over the hill or across the water. Good morning. Okay. How many of us feel like that when we talk about adventure? No, not me, not today. Nasty adventures make you late for dinner. Yeah. But sometimes we get thrust on adventure whether we want to or not. And I don't think Gandalf, the, the wizard in that cloak, was going to take no for an answer. He was, he was expecting Bilbo to go on adventure whether he wanted it or not. Um, and, the, and the film goes on and so dwarfs come to his little hobbit hole, um, all expecting that he's going on an adventure and ask him to sign a contract for the adventure, but he refuses. Um, but he wakes up the next morning and realises they've all gone. Here, Mr Bilbo, where are you off to? Don't stop, I'm already late. The bit of a change of heart that he has when he realises he's been left behind. So that sense is that nobody should be left behind that we've spoken of before. But I don't believe it's ever too late to catch up to, to get that sense of, of I'm going on this adventure too. And did you notice what he had on his back? What did he have on his back? He had a backpack. So he was ready for action. He was ready to go on an adventure. So the thing I love about the hobbits and the, the Tolkien stories, I don't know if any of you are very familiar with them, but the character of the hobbit are considered in, insignificant. And throughout his stories, the enemy underestimates the hobbit because he's seen to be insignificant. And that means he is able to get right behind the enemy line and bring the enemy crumbling down. And I just, I think God calls us to be significantly insignificant. There was those who were kings and warriors who, who drew away the attention of the enemy purposely. And I think there's, there's those of us, there's some, that God, people, some people that God calls to be that that head-on attack the enemy. But then there's those that are called to be significantly insignificant and can get behind enemy lines, and, and they actually bring the thing crumbling down. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 says, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. So... When I think of pilgrimage, I, I always think back to a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Um, it was written by a man called John Bunyan, and in the 1600s, he was actually in prison for his faith, and it was a dream that he had while in prison. And the book is about a character called Christian on a pilgrimage to the celestial city. And he has a backpack. Um, and in his backpack, he has several things. He has a guidebook, a scroll, and a key. And he also has a companion called Hope. 
I think it would be very easy to give up on our journey if we don't have a companion called Hope. But it gets to a point on the story where he wanders off the path and ends up in a place called Doubting Castle, where a giant called Despair takes him captive in his, judge, in his dungeon. But even there, Christian has a choice of which voice he'll listen to. Does he listen to a giant called Despair? Or a companion called Hope? And when he listens to Hope, he remembers he has a key in his backpack. And when he tries the door with that key, it unlocks and they're free. And I I believe that Jesus has given us keys to the dungeon of the giant of despair. But we have to start listening to that companion called Hope. So I want to share a little bit about my unexpected journey and the things that God had put in my backpack. I might need somebody to help me. No? Taylor? No? Okay. If you could put my backpack on, and you can pretend to be me, because you look like me. (laughs) All right, so you can turn that way. Okay. So I'm going to put some things in your backpack. All right. So on this unexpected journey that I had, I discovered some of the things that were packed in my backpack that I hadn't even realised were there. And I suppose I maybe had a fairy tale kind of dream of what life would be. It always gets to the end of the story and it says, they lived happily ever after. But the reality was more like, they faced many trials and tribulations, miscarriage, heartbreak, illness, brokenness, but through it all they learned to walk with God and discovered beauty in unexpected places. So first, some stories to illustrate what God had packed in my backpack. I missed a page. Okay. So, first one, Jesus healed me. When I was four years old, I was very ill. I had a very high fever, fever. They thought it was scarlet fever. And my parents were trying to keep me, um, my temperature down and give me ice-cold baths. And they prayed with me and different things. But on one particular evening, my dad said to me, Heidi, why don't you ask Jesus to make you better? And I asked Jesus to make me better. Just simply, I was just four years old. And immediately I threw up and immediately my fever left. And I remember, it was my first memory of my first encounter with Jesus. So that is in my backpack. That's something very significant for me. So that's in my backpack. Another thing in my backpack is my mum often prayed, well, both my parents prayed with me, but my mum used to recite a little child's poem, very simple poem, that went, Jesus is the shepherd, guess who I am, such a lovely secret, I'm his little lamb. Doesn't seem very significant, maybe, but I used to love it as a child, and it was important to me. It was actually something that was in my backpack. 
I was very, very frightened of the dark when I was a child. And I remember one night waking up, wanting a drink of water, uh, but being too afraid to go downstairs to get a glass of water. It was in those days where the upstairs tap wasn't drinking water. You weren't allowed to drink the water. It was the old tank or something, and you had to go... (laughs) So I knew I wasn't allowed to drink the water upstairs. I probably would have been fine. But to go downstairs in the dark, I was absolutely terrified. And I remember standing at the top of the stairs and, and asking Jesus to help me not be scared of the dark. And I put out my hand and actually felt like someone was holding my hand. I remember walking down in the dark and getting my drink of water. And that was probably the first thing that started really changing that fear of the dark for me. So Jesus holds my hand when I'm afraid. in my backpack the other thing I'd get 50p if I learnt scripture (laughs) I was the best in my family because I I was eager to get the money (laughs) but one of the scriptures that I learnt and was my favourite was Psalm 23 and that was one that I knew by heart so it was in my backpack so all those were happened as a child, but two years before my unexpected journey, I was involved in the worship team at the time, and I went to a prayer meeting, and uh, or not a prayer meeting, a worship practice meeting, and I hadn't actually really felt like going, and I got there a bit late, been putting kids to bed, and got there a little bit late, and um, when I arrived, you could feel the presence of God in the room. They were ready in full flow. And I was like, okay. So I sort of sat in the corner and, and sat down by the wall. I said, oh, God, you're going to have to meet me tonight. And immediately I just had this vision of, of four pictures. And I saw a cage with a, a bird in it and then it being set free. I saw... Um, a child leaping off the stairs and being caught by their dad and jumping into their dad's hands. It was actually an image because I remember doing that as a a child. Um, I had a scripture come to me which is, um, they will mount up on wings like eagle, they will run and not be weary, they will walk and not faint. And finally, I saw a a photograph which my mum actually has of me when I was 18, dancing in a cornfield. And I saw this picture. Okay, so that was, so all of those came one after the other. Then Mark Baden comes over and says, I just want to pray with you. I just feel that God's saying, you're going to be set free from a cage. Okay, I just saw that picture. And you need to leap into your daddy's arms. <laughs> you need to run and not be weary and walk and not fear. And I'm like... That's what his mum said. And he says, I see you dancing in a cornfield. <laughs> I was like, right, what's that all about? When I think about the word, for me it spoke of uh, four things. Freedom, security, strength and harvest. Those were the, the, three, the four things that I felt that God spoke to me. But that prophetic word was in my backpack.
So, so a few stories just to, on my unexpected journey, which highlight some of my darkest moments. So first of all, um, when I was pregnant with Zachary, which is, he's now nearly eight, so it's quite a few years ago. Um, when I was about six months pregnant, I had a condition called, well, basically a problem with my pelvis, um, and I couldn't walk. I was in excruciating pain, and it was a more extreme version of this uh, condition that some women get in pregnancy. Um, and very painful. And there was other things going on at the time for me that were very emotionally painful as well. And after he was born, I, I had the hope that as soon as he's born, I'll be able to walk again, I'll be okay. But when he was born, that didn't happen. And in some ways, it felt worse for a while. And when I'd seen the physio, I said, oh, no, you can't even walk at all. We have to get some core strength. You've got no core strength before you can even start taking steps. Um, and so I'd lay on my back for hours and hours and end, giving me, doing some exercises the physio had given me, just so I can make one step. I remember that when I finally was started to walk, the first distance I walked was, if any of you know where I live and where Nathan and Judy live, it's about 10 doors away from each other. And it took me 20 minutes to walk from my house to their house and then had to rest for a couple of hours before I could make the journey back again. So walking was a really big challenge. And I was just wrestling with pain, both inside and physical pain. And everything I had to have help to do. So I couldn't really have... I had to be helped in and out of the bath. Having a bath on my own was out of the question. On this particular night, I thought, I just... I just didn't want anybody. I wanted to be on my own. So I went and locked the bathroom door and managed somehow to get myself into the bath. And the only thing I can describe it as how I felt was a silent scream. That's what I felt inside. I'm just going to get a drink of water. <laughs> so... And I remember feeling, if I can just float under the water, the pain will float away. If I can just go down under the water, the pain will float away. And in that moment, it was just flash. The, the prophetic words and the pictures and images that I'd had in that worship practice two years before just came back to my memory. It was in my backpack. And I was able to take hold of that and remind myself that God had promised me freedom. I felt in a physical cage and an emotional cage at that time. But God had promised me freedom. He promised me strength. And he promised me that I would see a harvest from the place that I was in. So, I was able to access that from my backpack. The next story, I was very concerned about a friend, and I was praying and fasting for this friend, and I really, it really felt like I was doing spiritual warfare for this person. And um, on, while during the time I was praying and fasting for this person, I started having nightmares at night, 
which I feel highlighted to me that really it was spiritual warfare. There was a sense of really battling for this person. And on one particular night I woke up, I was so, so petrified from the dream that I'd had. I was paralyzed in bed. I couldn't move. I physically couldn't move. And I said, Daniel, Daniel, you've got to go and check the kids to see if they're all right. And just felt this evil, evil presence. I just felt petrified. I sent Daniel to check the kids. He came back. Of course, the kids were fine. Signed to sleep in their bed. But Daniel said to me, he became that companion called Hope, that voice of hope. Remember who you'll be going to listen to. And he said, what was that prayer your mum taught you when you were little? And I just started saying it out loud, Jesus is the shepherd. Guess who I am? Such a lovely secret. I'm his little lamb. It sounds simple, but it's true. It's the truth, isn't it? And I had that in my backpack. And as I prayed that, I felt a real sense of peace. And God reminded me all those years ago when I'd been afraid of the dark... But he'd held my hand. And in that moment, I realized that the fears that I had as a child were no bigger to God. Than my, my fears that I had as an adult were no bigger to God than the fears that I'd had as a child. That what I was facing now that seemed big to me wasn't really any bigger than being afraid of the dark. And that he got me. And that he would... And I just needed to come to him like a child. And he'd give me that place of peace. So finally, a couple of years on from not being able to walk, I got a mysterious stomach illness, which took months of horrible tests to try and figure out what it was, Um, which in the end they treated me for a parasite and I started to put on weight again. But they never really find out exactly what was wrong. But... On one particular night, I couldn't sleep, and I did that fateful thing of Googling my symptoms. <laughs> it's not a very good idea, <laughs> because I decided I had all sorts of things, and I was so convinced I was going to die. I, that, in that middle of the night, I was convinced that I was going to die. I wasn't going to see my children's 18th birthdays. I wasn't going to see them get married, um, and so I started to plan out letters and films I should make for them so that they could, so I could say something to them when they were 18 or when they were getting married because I didn't think I was going to see that. And then I stopped and realised I, ha- I have a choice. So I, t- I turned away from Google and I turned to Jesus. And I remembered that he healed me as a child. And that was in my backpack And whatever I had, scarlet fever, whatever it was as a child, was no bigger. And what I had now was no bigger to God than that. And he could heal me again. And that was, I was able to take that out of my backpack. And I actually declared aloud Psalm 23. And particularly, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that was in my backpack. So those are some of the things on that journey. And actually, all those stories where 
was where Peace Together was conceived. It was in that process, in that time, that God started to show me the things that grew to become Peace Together and what we're doing with that today. So, what's your response? First of all, I, th- I think, what are, what's the voice of hope for you? For me, it was the prophetic word. It was Daniel in the night, the people who walked beside us. It was testimony of what God had done for me in the past. It was scriptures that I had. Many other things it could be. But ultimately, Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. So, in response, first of all, backpack, not suitcase, when we're going on a venture. Let's be ready for action. Because you're going to need to have weapons against fear, against anger, unforgiveness. And you're going to need tools to bring in that harvest and to work the ground and do the different things that God's called you to do. And then what are the keys that God has given us to the dungeon of the giant of despair? And actually I feel that as, as God started showing me things and I started to write peace together, that some of the keys that he showed me were things of thankfulness and forgiveness. So what has God packed in your backpack? What are those prophetic words? Who are those people walking beside you? What are the testimonies of your life or the people's lives around you that you can hold on to? What is the scripture that is buried in your heart that can help you when you have to face obstacles on our pilgrimage? What is the unnecessary baggage in your backpack? I, th- I feel like the image I see of things like fear and unforgiveness and anger, it's like putting rocks in your backpack until the point where you can't move anywhere or you're trapped in that dungeon. Is it carrying burdens that are not ours to carry? Is it holding on to anger and forgiveness? Is it listening to the voice of fear? As we get ready for adventure, we need to eliminate unnecessary baggage in our backpacks. And then it's choosing to walk and talk with our companion called Hope. And remember, Jesus is the hope that we have, but he's also put people around us that are the voice of hope into our lives. So we have a choice to recognize that voice of hope. Thank you.